Welcome to another episode of the Bankruptcy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ramon. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Lindsay Yolbaras. Welcome, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So awesome to have you. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge that I'm producing this podcast on the territories of the Klaamen, Klehus, Homoko, and Comox First Nations, who were one one nation before we settlers came in and separated them into reserves. Today, um, oh, I don't know. We're just going to talk about everything Lindsay today. Um, <laughs> We're going to talk about a bit of research. We're going to talk about a bit of you, a bit of your work, a bit of kind of why you do what you do. Um, yeah. Uh, and just see what happens. So maybe we'll kind of just start with uh, a little bit about yourself, kind of how you got into the field and where you're from. And yeah, how you, sure. How you have to do what you're doing. Yeah. So um, I'm, I grew up in Florida. Mm. I did my undergrad at UF and um, University of Florida. And I um, am very lucky, I think, that I was at UF at the time because um, I had a really strong undergrad experience with behavior analysis. Mm. Um, so I, after I completed my undergrad, I went up to uh, Massachusetts and I worked at the New England Center for Children uh, for three years. And I got my master's from Western New England University under Jason Beret. And then um, I, after completing that, I came back down to Florida, back down to UF, and I got my PhD uh, with Dr. Tim Vollmer. Mm. Um, and I graduated, what, in, I graduated in 2022. So now I'm in my second year of a postdoc, and in my role in the postdoc, uh, it's uh, pretty segmented, and I'm kind of all across the board, but my primary role um, is to provide behavioral consultation in the hospital. Um, so anybody who I, some of my work is in peds, um, but really it spans the lifespan. So anybody who's experiencing um, behavioral crisis or just needs additional support during their hospital stay, I help support them in that. Yeah. Lots of stuff in there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, so first off, why, why ABA? Why'd you go to ABA at all in the first place? You know, I um, I tell the story of when I was in I I when I was in high school, I started volunteering um, an ESE school, and so I had uh, wanted to work with people with disabilities for a while, and I went to college, um, and I realized I think I was pre-law at the time and I realized that I just was not very passionate about it like it did not make me very excited mm. um so I think I literally went on google and said because I was a psychology major and I said mm. what can I do with a psychology degree and work with people with disabilities and the first thing that comes up I don't know if it still would, mm. um, is ABA, mm. right? And so when I was saying that I was lucky that I was at UF, um, UF has an applied behavior analysis course. So I went mm. into the course registrar and looked up applied behavior analysis and I took my first class. Um, and uh, I it was something I think that made sense to me. I, I don't necessarily consider myself... Um, somebody who continues to stay in the field because of um, 
a, uh, I mean, I think that I want to change the world is mm. a, a humble way of saying it. I, it's, <laughs> I'm a determinist, I think. And so that's what I realized in going to school, um, throughout both my master's and PhD. And, um, I think continually asking the question, why are we not acting to change the world is probably what like keeps me in behavior analysis. Mm. So what do you mean by a determinist? I mean, I, um, what do I mean by a determinist? I, I see the world as, um, relations between, um, variables. So, you know, I, um, I am also a pragmatist, you know, so I, I look at the world and I believe that behavior is determined and behavior is lawful. Um, and I think that behavior analysis as a natural science really makes sense to me. And I think it's, um, to maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit here, but I think, um, the, the mantra that the pigeon is always right a little Mm. bit sticks with me too. And I Mm. think that that definitely shapes how I see the world in the sense of, um, we are all just out there behaving and we are all products of our own environment. Um, and that I think allows me to, um, I think I've had a conversation with people previously about can humanism and determinism coexist. Mm. And some people philosophically might say that they're competing, but I think that being a determinist allows you to see humans with and other, um, organisms Mm -hmm. with a compassion that perhaps, um, assigning agency might not. Some people really, and I don't know where I'm at on this. This is just mm-hmm. things I've heard from other people, but some people really struggle with, I guess I've said I've struggled with it too, but mm-hmm. because I don't know enough with, with behavior analysis, saving the world. Yeah. Um, I think in part because this was part of this conversation I was having yesterday with someone mm-hmm. we were talking about kind of, and I had this actually I've had this conversation with quite a few folks around how behavior analysts in general as a field, I think we're we're a pretty insular bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, we've know. done kind of a bad job. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah. don't we you know, we don't, you know, we, we there was a period there where there was like so many webinars and workshops coming out on playing nice in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. That was the phrase, and I kind of hated that one too. And someone was talking to me about how you know, well, some people don't even like sand, so <laughs> use that analogy. We didn't like the yeah. sand, but anyway, um, I forget what was a cool tangent, but um, um, you know, and so the idea that you know, I think we as because mo- most behavior analysts are also Americans, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, there is a general sort of, there's always been there sort of this general sort of feeling around the world. I think it's more Americans are self-identifying now, uh, you know, but with this idea that Americans also think they can save the world. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And so, and so the idea that, you know, that, uh, you know, and really this isn't an Americans thing. I think in a lot of ways, this is more of a, you know, uh, uh, a colonial Mm-hmm. kind of perspective mm-hmm. right um and uh and so 
And so, you know, while, while I'm not sort of against the idea of behavior analysis saving the world, I struggle with, you know, white male behavior, white male American behavior, yeah. behavior analysts saying they can save the world, you know, without thinking about all of these other pieces that, you know, culture and all the other things mixed in, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think um, there's a difference between thinking that you have all of the tools to save the world and can go solve all these grandiose problems yeah. and empowering the people around you to change their own individual worlds mm. so that that can kind of proliferate, you know, in, in, in hopes that, um, I don't want to, I guess going back to like determinism and thinking about like the butterfly effect. Like when I think about my own, um, uh, like quote unquote world that needs changing yeah. or that I can change being able to empower the people around me to do that, I think mm. is how I want to execute that goal. Yeah. No, I like that. I like the sort of, that sort of that, like that, uh, Margaret Mead thing, you know, makes one person sort of thing, yeah, behavior, yeah. you know, sort of thing. Sure. Um, you know, I like the idea of one person at a time, but I think, I don't think when people say save the world, that's what they're thinking. That's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, think, I think they're thinking, man, it'd be great if the U.S. president was a BCBA. Yeah, you know, and mm, that, I think I think that we would not, that might not be where we succeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Is it good? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, yeah, because I've also been thinking about just sort of, you know, how, and I've been trying to get kind of more guests on the podcast to kind of speak to this, well, not speak to this, but because no one else will is is about sort of you know just working with other professions and and taking mm -hmm. from other fields, you know, um, and uh, you know, it, behavior analysis. I struggle with the idea that everything's behavior. So all we need is behavior mm. analysis, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I think is a thing. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, in my current role, I have to, I, it's a necessary part to do a lot of collaborating with, um, a lot of different people in different professions. Mm. Um, and I, I think that just because um, the things that we do are behavior doesn't necessarily mean that the only people that we need are behavior analysts, right? Um, yeah. And uh, the the behavior of physicians is still behavior, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that I, as a behavior analyst, should go and modify the behavior of a physician yeah. when they're making decisions about a patient's yeah. um, course of treatment, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what do you so? What do you do at the hospital? Like, I always, I'm always fascinated by behavior analysis in hospitals. I mean, my experience is mostly with behavior analysis analysts in hospitals has been, you know, psychiatric. Mm -hmm. kind of wards a little bit or forensic hospitals we've got a big forensic hospital here and and uh you know and so there's some of that going on what the
Everyone wants to have control of their life, to make their own choices, decisions, and set goals that are meaningful and important to them. And students who are neurodivergent are no exception. Self-determined research indicates a host of positive quality of life outcomes for people who are neurodivergent, including better employment and independent living outcomes. Whether your students want to attend college or obtain employment after high school, they will need to acquire the skills necessary to pursue career life directions that are personally meaningful and are of their own volition. The self-determination course offered by CBI is an ideal tool for teachers to help students develop the essential competencies for self-determined behavior. The course consists of five modules with comprehensive lesson plans that are, include embedded resources easily adapted for your diverse learners. Using the built-in self-reflection and assessment exercises, teachers can assess students' growth towards their self-determination and self-advocacy behaviors. If you're interested in learning more, check out the CBI Consultants webpage at www.cbiconsultants.com. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is ignore. What do you, what do you, what's that, what happens in hospitals that they need you? Is, is That's this a great of- question. <laughs> yeah. So I, I do a little bit of consulting in a psychiatric hospital. Mm. Um, usually I only get called in if somebody has autism or a neurodevelopmental diagnosis. Mm. Um, and that's kind of rare based on the laws in Florida. Um, and who can be involuntary commit involuntarily committed. Um, but really across the board, um, so much of my role is um identifying or helping uh, medical staff identify how we can make the environment less shitty for the patients as they're experiencing it. Um, so I think that um it's a lot of having conversations about um can we just maybe dim the lights in here? Or maybe um, it's the white coats that are producing behavior problems. And can we just not wear white coats? Um, We had a patient recently where um, we needed to just put the hand sanitizer container outside of the room so that we weren't using hand sanitizer in the room. And that fixed a lot of um, the behavior challenges. So it's a lot about enriching the environment, identifying patient-centered ways to make, um, to make that less scary. Um, Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And, and then education really too, because um, a lot of the, medical staff um, in school receive uh, not a lot of training in how to deal with or not deal with on how to um, provide care to behaviorally complex patients. Mm. Um, And so being able to have those conversations too, and also with the caregivers um, is important. And then I guess on top of that is I, in where we are in the state of Florida, um, it's very rural all the way around Gainesville. Mm. Uh, so we get lots of people coming from pretty far away um, to come to the hospital. We're like the biggest hospital system around. Mm. Um, and so part of that is part of when we encounter patients that might be from far is uh, helping connect them with resources after discharge. Um, Cause a lot of times patients are coming in and they don't have access to resources. So that's another mm. big part of it too. 
Mm. That's cool. So, and I'm guessing part of it's just because it's Florida, um, and Florida's where, where you know, ABA was you know had a lot of its beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like I, I feel like you'd almost never see a behavior analyst in a hospital in Canada. I mean, there there are a couple, there mm-hmm. are some. I think, and I think there's probably some Canadian behavior analysts that will tell me, no, no, I work in my hospital then. Pay attention, uh, but I think um, we're pretty spread out. Like, there's not a ton of us, and yeah. I'm an N of one at my hospital. Like, um, like how do you, how, how how did you get that gig? Great question. Um, we wrote a contract, so um, and proposed a contract to the hospital. So hmm. there were um, UF is a um, has a relatively large behavior analysis program. It's a very old behavior analysis yeah. program. Um, and UF has been involved in the community in various ways over the past, um, I guess, probably over 40 years, like a mm. long time. Um, and that's changed, you know, uh, managers of organizations come and go and the involvement changes. Mm. Um, but they're, was a particularly challenging case in the hospital um, of somebody that was um, admitted for a very, very, very long time um, who had significant behavior challenges. And uh, we had really no way to support them in the hospital. The the system didn't have a good way to support them. And so uh, myself and uh, Dr. Carrie Peters uh, proposed to the hospital um, a a fund, not a not a funding mechanism. We don't have a funding mechanism. The hospital pays us, um, mm-hmm. but we wrote a contract and we said, "Hey, here's how we can help." Um, and they said, "Great, we'll give it a try." And mm-hmm. so I'm on my second year of giving oh. it a try. Um, so, so there yeah. wasn't a behavior analyst in the hospital before this. No, there was not. Uh, yeah, and I just was sort of assuming this was something that you folks have been doing for eons. No, I mean, we've kind of been, you know, in and out helping, but like actually having a position in the hospital is new. Cool. And it was just because there was this case. So how did you become aware of this case? Um, When I think um, without saying too much, I think when um, when things get really complicated, they go up the ladder. Mm. Um, And so we started um, hearing from. Uh, a lot of the folks at the top of the ladder in the hospital system. Mm. And they, I think, kind of were just trying to um, see how can we get anybody and everybody who like, might. Do you, does, does UF like have a medical program? Is yes. that part of it? Is that part of the mm-hmm. reason maybe? So we're, yeah, we're a teaching hospital. So there's so, that connection um, to the hospital. Oh, I see. Yeah. So there's that. that that's probably yeah. a big part of it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you didn't have a medicine program, you might not yeah. have a connection to. That's what I was trying to figure out. It's kind of how you were connected to, you know, the voices in medicine. Yes, uh, but if you've got that going on, that that can't hurt. Cool. Well, so it's only so so it's new, right on. And so, how's it been going then? Good, good. It's um, I really really enjoy the work. Um, yeah, there fun. are we've got lots of like initiatives that we're trying to get moving, you know. And um, being at a teaching hospital, there's like turnover in terms of who mm-hmm. you're working with. Um, not because of anything negative about the system. It's just, that's how a teaching hospital system mm-hmm. works. Um, so we, I, I, things are moving like 
very much in the right direction. It's just sometimes you gain a lot of traction and then now we got a new person that's here and it's like, all right, now mm. we're going to do this again and we're going to train again and we're going to talk to them all about this again. Mm. Um, but it's been going really well. And, and like, how is it all received? Like, like, I mean, Oh, that's a good question. People don't generally want to hear from us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was talking with, um, Alec Bernstein. He's at, um, he's in uh, children's mercy in Kansas, I think. Um, and he does a similar thing to what I do in the hospital. Um, and so we were chatting and I said, you know, I hear people talk all the time about how, um, there is resistance to behavior analysts, um, and like, uh, from other professions. And I was like, you know, I am not, fe- I, I don't feel it at all, like in the hospital. Mm. And I, um, they're, they're eager to collaborate. Um, but I think he, he, Alec brought up a very, um, interesting question, which was, um, do they like you because you're effective or do they like you because you do the work that nobody else wants to do? I said, that's a very good question, you know, Mm -hmm. because I, um, often am coming in, in situations that are dangerous, right. That, um, staff are not comfortable working in. Um, and so I think that in, in part, that's probably, um, accurate in that um i'm i'm pretty well received because um i can in in not so many words make problems go away for people Mm -hmm. like it's a negative reinforcement situation um but um in terms of uh i i want to i want to pause and um validate the concerns of folks who are behaviorally complex who are in the hospital system because I've heard lots of horrible stories and I've seen horrible things um, or seen uh, had had people's firsthand accounts of things Mm -hmm. that are poor. And um, I think that something that I find myself having to remind myself about is the cardiologist who's going to do heart surgery it's concerned about doing the best heart surgery that they can do. And there are all of these other things that they could do to make the patient's experience um, better for them. But that heart surgeon is concerned about heart surgery. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, I think that it's hard to push in in those contexts um, and tell them why something matters. Um, But all of that to say, I've had a really, I've had a really positive experience Um, but again, I'm not the person advocating for myself. You know, I'm able to, I have a position where people can listen to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that patients might have a different perspective when they're experiencing the medical Mm -hmm. system. Mm -hmm. And, and how do you get the job? Because there's, there's lots of folks. How do I get the job? Yeah. Like, was this Um, part of your postdoc? Package yes. Or... Yes. This is part of my postdoc package. Mm. Um, uh, not to sell myself short in any way, yeah, yeah, no, but no. I'm cheap <laughs> in, in the eyes of the hospital. I am cheap because mm. of the way that a postdoc position works. Gotcha. Um, and so, uh, I think that what we'll, we will have to do some, uh, planning and investigative work and mm. grant writing to try and figure out how, um, 
to uh, enhance the program because yeah. it's I don't I I think probably postdocs shouldn't necessarily run it forever. Mm. Well, they might like that because it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> how how long? Like you so say, this is your second year. How long was the mm-hmm. contract for? The contract we just renewed, so our oh, contract so was good. up. Yeah, we um, so our contract was up in May, and we just renewed for another year. So it's, you're doing good enough that they renewed it. So that's yes, fun. We're, yeah. that is true. <laughs> right on, neat, neat, neat. And are you doing any? Is is there any? Uh, is there like any any kind of research component with this too? That's a great question. Um, so in terms of research that I'm presently doing, um, I'm kind of again, spread a little bit all over the place. Um, so some of what I do is, um, outpatient work related to, uh, cooperation with, uh, blood draws and injections. Mm. Um, and we've been collecting some biometric data with that. So we are taking heart rate data throughout the process of, um, increasing cooperation with that. So that's, that's something that's like pretty directly related to the hospital. Yeah. And some of our participants have been patients who have been referred from the hospital. So that's kind of how we um, hear about that. Um, But then also I'm pretty closely affiliated with, so I work in the big hospital. We said the big hospital. Um, And then there's the Center for Autism and Neurodevelopment or CAN, um, US Health CAN. Mm. And that within that, there are multiple different entities, but one of those entities um, involves a assessment and treatment of, uh, problem behavior, um, program. And so Mm. I, um, uh, Dr. Casey McGarry runs that and, um, I've been able to, uh, be pretty involved there and be helpful. Um, I'm able to, uh, supervise, uh, BCBA or people pursuing their BCBA through that. And so then I'm able to uh, conduct other challenging behavior research um, Mm -hmm. that way as well. All right. So talking about some of the, the research you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, admittedly, I mean, I, 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 I reached out to you because there's a lot of people that have been talking about some about this stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot, I think a lot of people were, well, we're going to dive into it, but I think a lot of people were really excited about this article on ignoring mm-hmm. because a lot of folks have a lot of problems with, um, you know, I mean, this comes around sort of this sort of ABA reform conversation mm-hmm. that we're having and how some of our stuff needs updating and, and changing or removing. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around extinction. I mean, I mm-hmm. think Jonathan Tarbox and some folks. Oh, the kind the extinction kind, paper. Kind extinction yeah, paper, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. which I want to read, which I, I feel like maybe um, is, you know, I, I'm wondering if they if they had a chance to reference yours or mm. um because there seems to be some parallels there because you both talk about extinction and sort of mm-hmm. some of the issues there and I think a lot of a lot of the voices that are sort of speaking about reform uh extinction is one of the things they have a lot of problems with for mm-hmm. different reasons particularly escape extinction i think um um in, in that you know the idea that we're you know there there may be some context there where we're essentially forcing kids to, you know, learn instead when they mm-hmm. want to get away or, um, or I think in feeding 
you know, the, the, the spoon non-removal is a, is a common mm-hmm. example that kind of comes up and I know nothing about feeding and I can't speak <laughs> intelligently about any of it all, but, but I, I certainly get the idea of sort of, and I don't like this term um, that uh, Greg Hanley has been using, although a lot of people seem to like it, this, this making things televisable. And, mm. uh, um, and I get, sort of I think I get the intention is that we want you know we we want to be able to not be ashamed not try to hide our procedures because we're worried people will criticize us so we want to have procedures that we can do in public and and people are going to go oh yeah that's doing something and that's helpful and and that's and that's not weird or or whatever or or mm-hmm. evil or mean or or you know coercive or whatnot but I think just I think I think a different they should have came up with a different term. I think televisable to me means um, you know it, it seems seems kind of markety and and when we want to advertise. Yeah, and we yeah. we want to make it look good, even though maybe, you know, it still isn't. Um and I'm not saying Hanley and and those folks are doing that. I just struggle with the term. Uh sure. and I've and I've seen other folks kind of reference to I think I, I saw a conversation. I don't know if it was related to your paper, but I think it, would have been, it might have been the kind extinction paper. Someone said, mm-hmm. oh, televisable. Like, oh, stop it. Uh, um, <laughs> but um, what, why? Because why, we're, we're kind of got a couple of papers here. I don't know if we're going to have more coming out um, where we're like you've got the new definition of DRA, and then mm-hmm. you've got this sort of conversation about maybe changing the way we use ignore and stuff. Why, why, why are you writing, are you doing this, these kind of papers? That's, that's, that's the point. Yeah, that's, I think that um, one of the big uh, drivers of that, right, is to make sure that there's something that's referenceable out there. And I think that that is um, important, especially for people who are learning behavior analysis that they need to be able to go somewhere and and find um, information on this topic, you know? Um, And uh, that's, I think, number one. Um, But the other one is, which I guess probably ties into it, is we want it to be the case that the research that we're conducting and the way that we talk about something is reflective of the way that we want to do our practice, right? And so if it's the case that um, uh, those don't match, then I think that that's a problem. Um, and I think you're right. There, there's been a long standing tradition of, or not tradition, but history of, of doing ABA in quotes a certain way. And mm we have so much more data to support that it doesn't need to be done that way. Mm. And we can do it a lot better, you know, and then how we talk about it also matters. Mm -hmm. So, well, let's start with the ignoring one, because I think Mm -hmm. that's one that uh, a lot of folks were excited about. what like this doesn't seem like this seems like a I don't know like 
this this wasn't research per se like in, in terms yeah. of you know like this this was stuff like you know let, let, let's change how we're talking about this stuff yeah yeah um and so how do you how do you just do that how do you just how do you change, just change what we're, how we're how, talking how do you just about say, something no, you know we, we we've we've been doing it this way now but no you know we think we should do it this way and then we get it published like how does that even work Oh, so, I, um, and you and I have talked about this a little bit. I, I think I'll, I'll first say, I think that a lot of the reason that I've been, that, that this particular paper, we were able, we were so successful in mm. moving forward with the message, um, is that we had some, uh, great voices on it that, mm. um, uh, perhaps, um, in their absence, it wouldn't have been heard as much. Mm. Um, and I think that that is, a the, probably the reality of the situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had contact, you know, with Tim and Tyra and mm. had their support. Um, so I think that's one of the ways. Um, but the other one I think is that in, so I have a, a handful of discussion type papers that I've written and they're all so much harder than writing like a pure empirical research paper. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. an empirical research paper, I can, you know, do a literature review, write up what we did, talk about some limitations, put a bow on it, send it off. Mm-hmm. But in working on a discussion type paper, yeah. it goes through so much um, editing and um, hating it. And walking away for a few months, you know, like I, um, in our paper, we probably in, um, April of 2023. So that's like a pretty a, a decent amount of time mm. to be working something or working on something. Um, and I, I've learned a lot about how to put forth, you know, those different types of messages. Um, but ultimately I guess whether or not um, it gets picked up and gets selected and people start referencing it and, and using it, I mm-hmm. guess that's still um, still to be determined, right? So sorry, how long do you say it take, took to get this one? I think that, for, so I think we submitted it um, in December of 2022 and we started mm-hmm. working on it probably 2020, like in, my guess is probably in the, the throes of COVID. So a couple of years. Gotcha, gotcha. So what were, so you said that you were, you you submitted it and people didn't like it? No, we, uh, um, I, I was meaning that we didn't like it ourselves oh, before see, submitting it. Um, gotcha. We, we had a, um, in terms of the, the reviews, um, that or that the review process was good. But, um, mm. I think sometimes when you stare at something for so long and then you try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody else who's reading it, yeah. you just are like, they're not going to get this. I'm not getting it. I'm I'm, I mean, now you're on on the computer, but you're proverbially scrunching up your paper into a ball and throwing it out and starting over kind of a thing. Um, But then sometimes something sticks. Yeah. The second secret word is dance. The context, I guess, is that a lot of, uh, you know, so why, why do they ignore paper? 
Um, I, uh, the, I believe that this whole, this whole conversation started, um, when, uh, Tim and Tyra had a conversation regarding, um, like legal implications of ignoring. Um, and we Mm. had some things that didn't make it into the paper where there's a famous legal case, um, that's called like the chicken case Mm. that you apparently learned about in law school. Mm. Um, I could, somebody, a lawyer might be listening to this and tell me I'm totally wrong. Um, but it, it was where there was a disagreement between a shipper and the receiver of chicken about what, um, about what constituted chicken. Mm. And it was related to um, were they shipping? I forget exactly the specifics of it, but um, the I forget who won. But the point is they're mm-hmm. having this whole big blown out legal case over what does the word chicken mean? Right. Um, and so we, we had a lot of conversations about that in relation to as a behavior analyst, um, you uh, are writing legal documents. Most like if you're providing a service, a lot of the times you're writing legal documents that if someone were to um, be hurt, heaven forbid, then what is in that document could be subpoenaed, right? And so if you've said in that document um, to ignore self-injury and your RBT ignored self-injury, and something happened, mm. then you are legally implicated. So sure. that was, I think, where a lot of the beginnings of the conversation came from. Mm. But then we started having these conversations about um, all, like, uh, I mean, all the things in the paper where we were like, well, maybe it's the case that um, it, it's not socially valid to ignore people anyway. Like, maybe mm. we just shouldn't be, regardless of saying the word ignore, like, maybe we shouldn't be teaching people to ignore when um, somebody is in discomfort or somebody is mm. telling us with their challenging behavior or yeah. other behavior that they're uncomfortable yeah. or they don't want this to happen, you know, or um, uh, in, I think we had lots of conversations too about caregivers too like we we should not be telling caregivers to ignore anything about their child like how um how probably like why would somebody listen to our recommendations if we said oh yeah ignore your kid that'll be Mm -hmm. that'll that'll work out great Mm -hmm. when they're doing the thing when they're doing the thing that they know is a way to communicate with you that was mm. kind of we had lots of conversations that kind of all stemmed around those things. And I could see I could see why Tyra, because Tyra she's got a law degree, doesn't she? Yes, so, she is a, so she, she is an attorney. <laughs> so she's got uh she's got, that's cool. Um yeah, I mean I think about sort of and now, are we talking about? I think this this is why I, I think a struggle that I have with behavior analysis in, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, uh, it, it is with the jargon. Mm-hmm. Um, in that we have a lot of words that we use in our jargon that are also words that are in used the regular in, 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 in regular life. Like everyone else yep. has jargon, they just they have, it's completely made up words that don't work in Scrabble, right? Like you sure. can't, you know, you can't use half of the words in chemistry in Scrabble, but I can mm-hmm. use ignore in Scrabble. Yeah, um, that's um, a great point. And so 
And so it, I think so it really confuses, you know, the layperson mm-hmm. because, you know, they see words like punishment and ignore and ex- even extinction. I mean, extinction is, you know, the eradication the, of a yeah, species, species, right? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, if you watch a lot of sci-fi, we're having another extinction level event coming up yeah. where, you know, the world's going to be annihilated. And so, you know, these are these words, you know, have pretty devastating meanings in in in, yeah. in in lay in lay terms although ignore maybe not so much like i've, I've got a next door neighbor here who sporadically just starts swearing at us um hmm. for no particular reason um uh we're actually convinced he i think he he, he had brain cancer and we think this mm. might be tumor related but um but regardless he just kind of climbs over the fence and starts screaming at you know obscenities at us and telling mm-hmm. us we're awful people for trimming the raspberry bush down mm-hmm. um and that sort of thing and so we ignore him um because we try to communicate with him and um and uh you know and i think with the brain injury or whatever he um he uh you know he just gets more he just escalates the more we try to talk and and we mm-hmm. find he chills right out and actually forgets he was talking to us if we just ignore him and he goes back to mowing the lawn um and so i don't see anything wrong with that um, you mm-hmm. know, I'm, I'm going to keep ignoring my neighbor because I don't want to be sworn at every day and he doesn't want to mm-hmm. talk to me. Um, um, are you saying I should stop doing that? You know, I think that that is a great point. And I think that the, um, the, uh, paradigm I might present would be, let's say that I was going to go and house sit for you. And yeah. you wrote me instructions and you said, okay, you're going to ignore this neighbor when he comes yeah. over. Yeah. It, what that means for you might mean something that's totally different for me. Mm. So for ignore for you, that might mean go about your day as you were, continue mowing your lawn as yeah. if he weren't there, yeah. continue with whatever you're doing. For me, that might mean, um, I go inside, I shut all of my windows and doors and blinds and I make it so Mm. that, um, or I might turn my back to him, um, or, uh, so that might look different one. And then two, there's always the question of, well, what if he starts breaking your window, you know, or what if it's the case that he harms himself or harms you? Mm. Are you still going to quote unquote, ignore what's happening Mm. in that context, or do the circumstances under which you might ignore change, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that we can uh, ignore is a lovely, easy term to use in, in those contexts, but, um, it, it means multiple different things and the conditions under which you would do it are not specified within the term. Right. No, that's a good answer. Because I mean, if he starts throwing Molotov cocktails into my house, and you're probably it down, not going to ignore him. And I keep anymore. ignoring him, then you're going to, I'm going to come home to a house burnt down and yeah. not hire you as a house sitter again. Um, so, yeah, fair. So, this isn't necessarily about don't do it. It's more about this is a term we've been using for years and years, and and no one really knows what it means. You know, I think it, so, um, it's a little bit twofold. So on one hand, it's like, let's talk about this differently when we're talking about something, Mm -hmm. but on the other hand, like 
there are, and we talk about this a little bit in the paper, there are lots of other interventions that we have that perhaps don't require the use of attention extinction, for example, which mm. might be what is there in the ignoring. Right. Um, and, and we should be using those if we have them. And then I put this, I put this caveat in there of um, there are certain circumstances under which like that not might not be possible or mm. um, extinction might be appropriate. Right. But um, having a thoroughgoing analysis and saying, um, on one hand, maybe it's the case that we should be better at talking about what we're doing. Um, but on the other hand, let's also evaluate the things that we are doing and seeing mm. maybe it's the case that, um, if we are ignoring, like if, uh, challenging behavior, then maybe it's the case that we're missing something like, a UTI or, mm. um, with the case of your neighbor, you have no obligation to take care of your neighbor, but let's say that you were your neighbor's caretaker. It might be the case that there is some aspect of his, and mm -hmm. if he had a brain injury, there sure. might be some aspect of that, that, um, is manifesting yep. in the form of coming and swearing at you. And if you're yep. providing a service to him, then it, uh, an analysis of that or an evaluation of that, I think is warranted. Yeah, no, for sure. And so like, where, where did ignoring come from in the first place in ABA? Like, why do we say it? Like why, why, yeah, why do we do it? And, 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 and ignoring different from planned ignoring. Mm, which yes, that's a great point. Sounds not that yeah. different, but maybe it is. Um, so ignore the word ignore in, in, in the context of ignoring challenging behavior occurred in the first Java issue. So we wow. have been saying it since the then beginning. at least. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so uh and generally when people are talking about ignoring, um, as opposed to this concept of planned ignoring. In ignoring, they're talking about withholding attention, mm -hmm. contingent on problem behavior. So attention right. extinction right. is usually what people are talking about. Yeah. Um, perhaps a, another way of saying it is providing no differential consequences. So I'm I'm not doing anything when somebody has problem behavior. Mm -hmm. um, planned ignoring is. Um, also a also attention extinction mm. but oftentimes there's an additional response that occurs so um i might be engaging with a learner here the learner throws their pen across the room i turn away from the learner for 30 seconds and i mm. um planned ignore that behavior of throwing the pen across the room kind of a thing um or uh in Sometimes played ignoring is talked about in the context of uh, like bedtime treatment too, when kids will get out of bed and we're trying to get them to go to bed. Mm. Um, like you're, you're planning to ignore the fact that they're getting out of bed. And then when they get out of bed and try to bid for your attention, then that's not what's happening. So I was like, I was looking at like the, your table of concerns with ignore and mm -hmm. you have ignore is imprecise, might be functionally irrelevant, uh, 
some behavior can be dangerous, some behavior can't ignore, might, might be socially invalid, it's overused. It sounds like planned ignoring isn't any of those things. Like planned ignoring sounds like it's a lot more specific, so it might be precise. It, it, it probably is related to the function. Um, you know, you're not going to do it for some things and, and other things. Um, so are there still problems with planned ignoring? You know, I think that this um, this kind of goes back to that um, uh, term or procedure point. And perhaps, I mean, I think that there are times in which planned ignoring makes sense in the same way that I think that probably um, things like timeout make sense right. in the sense that like it's a it's a socially accepted intervention for a lot of populations. Um, particularly mm -hmm. small children, right? Um, it's something yeah. that happens in schools. Um, uh, caregivers uh, rate it as something that they would use. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that uh, perhaps there's there are times in which that's appropriate. Mm -hmm. um, the word ignoring still occasions in the layperson um, some... Uh, like thoughts that we are perhaps are neglecting someone, mm. you know? And so I, I would, I would shy away probably from using the term planned ignoring. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I think that there are, I, I think I would go back to, we can just be technological about it and describe mm -hmm. exactly what we're talking about in that yeah. moment. Um, and I think that uh, there is definitely a tendency for, and I planned ignoring is older, um, but I think that, uh, in, in my forays into medicine, everything's got an acronym in medicine. Like everybody's it's the, it's the smart blank. It's the scales, right. it's the yeah. scared. It's everything's kind of got a name. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, uh, we probably also feel a little bit that way. Like we need to come up with a name for a procedure yeah. for something, um, when I think a lot of times we we probably can describe the things that we're doing already with the terms that we have mm -hmm. without something that's new. I think my my listeners would be remiss if I didn't comment on socially acceptable mm. <laughs> because that's 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 a that's another area that's a struggle for folks. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, my wife always says. Because we always talk about well, everyone does that or or we've done that for all our lives or we've done that mm. forever, you know. Um, and so, you know, she always uses the example, we used to ride in horse and buggies. Why yeah. don't we keep doing that? You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, things can change and, and the social acceptability. You know, I, I don't want I don't want to tangent too much into this, but because it could take hours. But um, yeah. <laughs> but social acceptability is is an interesting term because who decides what makes it socially acceptable? And, uh, you know, it, it, a lot, a lot of folks would cry, would cry ableism mm -hmm. because it's, I mean, it's neurotypically socially acceptable, right. Or something so like that. My response, I think to that would be like, who decides whether or not something is socially acceptable, the client, yeah. the consumer, that's right. the first person that yeah. decides that, you know? And, yeah. um, I think back to, um, the, some of the, uh, Hanley 2004, 2005 concurrent chains papers, yep. um, where there's choice between treatments. Yep. Um, 
I think that I think that is the ultimate social validity measure. Like that is the ultimate social acceptability is mm-hmm. are you as the consumer of something selecting something, mm-hmm. right? Um I like and, those two because they're they're sorry to interrupt. I like those no, two just because it. they're they're actual the actual client picking versus yes. the caregiver. Yeah. Because I yep. I also struggle with caregiver choosing because they're also learning history and so on. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyways. and yeah, no, and I think that um so that's that's the first line, right? Ob- is obviously the yeah, client. Yeah. Um and um so I I think we probably need to be doing a lot more of that, you know. Um although it's uh, those types of arrangements are kind of contrived. Um, I think that uh, it was Jeannie Donaldson in um, one of her uh, token, uh, like token gaining versus token loss. I think that Mm. that's who it was papers. Um, She just asked the kids, she said, which one do you want? (laughs) Which one do you like better? Kind of a thing. Um, And that in that particular paper, it was, do you want to start with all of your tokens and then lose them for challenging behavior? Or do you want to earn tokens for oh, intervals yeah, nice. in the absence of challenging behavior? That's awesome. And um, it is, I think, sorry, now, now I'm questioning if it's Gene Donaldson. Um, I'm pretty sure it is. Um, <laughs> but the, it's not, first of all, it's not universal. What I love that. Kids choose, yeah. but also kids like to, not that they like to lose, but a yeah. lot of the participants chose starting with a full token board. Yeah. And it's a punishment contingency, right? Yeah. Like I'm going to take tokens away from you, but it's more valuable to me to have all of my tokens at the beginning yeah. that I get to keep versus having to earn them along the way. So that's an, an I no, think you should be I, doing I, that more. I really like that because it, I think this is the sort of the nuance of what, and the only nuance that I'll accept right now of mm-hmm. of the should we still use punishment conversation yeah um you know i'm you know like many folks i'm 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 against you know this contingent electric shock thing and mm-hmm. what they're doing in that in, in in that setting however if i personally you know had a behavior that i wanted to get rid of uh in myself and you told me that zapping me you know with this thing a few times a day would get rid of it and you let me try it out and i went yeah that hurts but i'm in you know let's do it because this behavior i have sucks even more than what you're doing right now Mm -hmm. and i you know signed all the letters personally you know and i had the wherewithal to do that and understand and understood sort of all the possible effects of that um i don't know if i'd have a problem with that you know um you know i think i'd be okay with that i think the problem is is that you know, and I don't, I'm just making up this number, but it feels like nine times out of 10 um, or even more, you know, that informed, true informed consent and choice is is never really there in a lot of these procedures, especially with you know, all these little kids and whatever, you yeah. know, with or without autism. I mean, you're, you're you know, the kids just, you know, yeah, shock me. You know, they're, no one's ever going to say that, you know, so, um, yeah. And I mean, I think that it, this also, and, and maybe we're we're down a tangent here a little bit, yeah. but I think that that's it, this podcast, though. So yeah, there it. we go. <laughs> um, I think that it it makes it makes sense to say, all right, you the person have agency, right? And I yeah. I, I I usually go back to the 
the right to eat too many donuts and take a nap. Yeah, yeah. Um, in thinking that it's like, well, sometimes maybe the choices that you make wouldn't benefit you. And a, an example that I think that mm. I was thinking of when you were thinking about um, if you had a behavior you wanted to go away and you were going to get shocked is um, I, I'm a, I'm a woman, I'm a pregnant woman. I've gained a lot of weight since being pregnant. And if you told me, Hey, after you're done having this baby, if I just shock you a little bit, then it's going to make you stop eating food and you're going to lose so much weight. You're going to look so mm, skinny. Right. It's going to be so great. And then I'd be like, yeah, I do want yeah. that. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. But I'm I in. don't, but that's not something that I want to want. Right. That's mm. not, although that's something that perhaps I might select, that doesn't mean that all of the contingencies that have selected me wanting that yeah. are ones that are ones that we want to see continue. Right. That's a great point. So yeah, I want to get shocked. So I stop, you know, whatever I was picking my nose or whatever. Um, but you know, you haven't, no one's offered me 12 other things that could stop me from picking my nose that maybe wouldn't hurt and wouldn't have, you know, maybe long-term traumatic effects of me every time I see an arc when I plug a plug in wrong and jump back or whatever um, sure. because of the trauma of being shocked every day. Um, yeah. So, so uh, yeah, there's more nuance now. I mean, this is the argument that would be pushed back if I tried, if I, if, if I, if I said that argument to someone who's really kind of strongly mm -hmm. against this in, in no matter what, no matter who it is, no matter why. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a ton of nuance, right? Like, like really, but I do think that, um, uh, having, having a lot of these conversations, um, makes it so hopefully that we are more open to receiving, um, uh, people's stories and opinions and everything about their experiences, yeah. you know, so that we can be, um, if, if we're not serving that client, if we're serving other clients and be able to integrate that stuff into what we're doing. Right. Yeah. In pursuit of, of being good and being better, not to say right, we'll ever right. get there, but yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Cool. So what were sort of some, of, what was some of the, 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 the takeaways from all of this, all this revisiting, ignoring takeaways from revisiting ignoring like, um like we're not just getting like the, the the paper doesn't say you know we have it says i mean i'm reading the abstract we mm -hmm. describe six concerns about ignore uh and then we don't say and we say stop using it yeah so what what do we do instead that's i mean that's a great I mean, kind of what i was just getting at is like there's yeah. so much nuance about it yeah. too that i would never want to say um never use it. And mm -hmm. I think that one of the times that we talk about an example of when um, it might be something that you have to use is if you're working with an interpreter, mm -hmm. right? And so it, the word that translates might be the word ignore. And, and there's, um, that's mm -hmm. the best option in that moment. And then you might have to present other caveats, right? But like, that is what the trans, that's what happens in the translation. Um, so, um, anyway, takeaways, sorry, I, I went on a little bit of a tangent there. Um, what should we do instead? Um, 
talk about exactly what we're doing. Um, ask people about, um, about ask consumers about what they would prefer to use and hear. And, um, if I am, I'm thinking back to silly little things that I perceived as silly in mm. terms of word changes that like historically I've used with a variety of caregivers and consumers is, um, if it, if it means the world to you, for me to use a different word, I will say widget or whatever, whatever mm. word you want me to say, we yeah. can come up with our own way of talking and we can figure it out. Um, so yeah, talk about exactly what you're doing, ask people, um, and perhaps try and find a, try and take a perspective of treatment that um, doesn't value the ignoring part and mm. values the other parts of the treatment right. more than that one. Cool. I mean, so the other paper is kind of the DRA one's kind of an yeah. example of that, right? Yeah. So what was that one about? That one stemmed from, these are all like stemmed from conversations we had. Yeah, um, yeah. That one was from a car ride. Nice. Um, we were all in a long car ride and and talking about um, how if you opened up any textbook, any ABA textbook, DRA was defined as reinforcing an alternative behavior and putting problem behavior on extinction. Um, and that is a description of a procedure, mm -hmm. but it's not how differential reinforcement like works in the world, mm. right? Like, um, if you look at even, and I won't get, I won't get into the math stuff, I promise. But mm. if you look at even the matching law, it's the case that when you get more reinforcement over in one side and less reinforcement on the other side, mm. you get, um, the scales tip in one yeah. direction versus another, right. right? And so that's how nature works. Yep. And also we shouldn't probably be teaching people in our textbooks that, well, one, what's not consistent with nature, right? Um, but two, that anytime you're trying to reinforce an alternative behavior, that means that you have to put challenging behavior on extinction because mm. that's just not possible, not safe. Um, there are certain conditions in which um, it might not be preferred you know, and so um, that I, I I like that paper because it's like a nice um, quote unquote bite of behavior analysis. Like it's a nice mm. paper that's short and gets to the point about yeah. something, and hopefully um, makes people. I mean, I hope that when when textbooks are written in the future, we start talking about how differential reinforcement is. Um, as Dr. Vollmer says, a way of life rather mm. than anything else. It's a lovely length. I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm not a reader. So I, a, I was so shocked nice when thing. I said, oh, that, the references already? Hooray. Mm -hmm. um, the third secret word is monkey. I could read it twice. Um, <laughs> why do you think forever it, it has been that way? Like it has been extinction as being a uh, essential component. And there's obviously tons of research around using extinction with, with differential reinforcement. So 
why um, if, it, if it's if it's always been unnatural sort of thing you yeah know? um so I think my first response is that for a long 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 time the stand the 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 research standards that we have in place make it which are necessary but they make it so that in order to publish something you have to be incredibly systematic you're conducting usually sessions in a session room somewhere yeah um you've got lots of time you've got lots of resources um and you are expected to have really tight experimental control mm. so under those circumstances it's possible to do all of these evaluations where truly every alternative response is reinforced and every maladaptive response is extinguished. Mm. And we know from, um, I mean, I, I, I don't want to go into all of the relapse and renewal and resurgence paper er, yeah, uh, yeah. literature, but like uh, it's, we know a lot from that literature base about that. Right. Um, I, got an ep- I got an episode on that. So check out, the, check out the Val Saini episode. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Val Saini's <laughs> episode. Um, so we've got a lot of that and that's, yeah. and I think that, um, because part of the reason probably is because the actual, most of, not most of, a lot of what is actually happening in clinical practice isn't getting into, it is, it's not getting published, you know? Um, and so I think that, uh, that's a big part of it, you know? And then the other one is once you tell someone the cause of challenging behavior, it's a little antithetical to then tell them to continue to present that cause, right? Or to continue to reinforce challenging behavior. Um, And I think when we're having a conversation about um, providing uh, humane treatments and making sure that we're not ignoring when there are signs and and including assent into our procedures. I think that that changes that conversation. But I have worked with a lot yeah. of individuals where, um, I mean, the the most the the nicest, most um, humane people. And when I say, "All right, we're going to reinforce problem behavior now," they're like no, I can't do that. That's going to make everything worse. Like I, I would never want to, to, um, feed into this, so to speak. Um, and so I think on, on, so on one hand, there's this difference between research and practice. And on the other hand, it, it, it does require a little unlearning, um, to, uh, think I'm going to, uh, provide this thing that, makes challenging behavior worse and is it also and again i'm i always it's a caveat because i know nothing about experimental research so i when when i bring up you know basic research experimental research i often feel like all the basic researchers are like no that's not how it works hey stop stop talking um and i apologize uh and uh but I feel like a lot of this comes out of some of the animal research where, you know, mm-hmm. you know, you know, where I think extinction with a pigeon 
easy. It, it's simple, right? You yeah. Know? <clears throat> or a mouse or whatever, you know, just turn it off and, and, you know, no longer that lever will no longer give you stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and your behavior will change. And, and to translate that into humans, um, you know, I think is, is problematic, um, yeah. uh, you know, because humans just, just don't do things that way. Um, you know, but there's lots of other things going on. I, 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 no one's ever, I don't think anyone's ever really been able to do extinction in the real world, you know, all that well. Yeah. You know, and if they have, it's been, you know, and for those who have had success doing it in, in a, in a compassionate way, kudos to you. But my guess is it's more likely been in the context of sort of psychiatric hospitals and, you know, residential facilities where, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of coercion and abuse and control there. And you're, you know, you're, you're able to do it that way. Um, um, but like for, for, for a mom to teach a mom to do extinction with her kid, I, I would guess unless mom's a BCPA herself. And even then I, I've heard from lots of moms, you're about to be one yourself, you mm-hmm. know, who, who are, who are BCBAs and, you know, I'm not a BCBA when I'm a mom, you know, um, yeah. um, 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 it, it, it would be really hard for them to do that. And so this seems like something that's probably been hard for our parents to do forever and ever and ever. And yet we keep writing research that says, this is the way to do it. Like, what? Wh- why did? Why has it taken so long for someone to write a paper like this? Yeah. So, um, I'm gonna kind of probably take a, a long road to answering that. Yeah, please. Um, I an analogy that I've um, heard played around with is um, that uh, you don't want gastric bypass surgery, right? But it might be the case that you need gastric bypass surgery, but nobody's signing up for it. Nobody is signing up to have um, their leg amputated, right? Nobody's signing up for that, but there are certain circumstances in which um, you need to have your leg amputated or you're gonna die. Yeah. And I, there are times in which I, uh, I think about extinction where those same things hold true. Right. Mm. So, um, you might be in a situation where, um, you, if, if you don't eat food, you're going to die. Mm. Like that's what we're talking about here. Or, um, in the hospital, um, the, uh, an example that I often see is I need to change your dressings. So like you have, I, I, we get a lot of burn patients, yeah. um, we, I, we are going to change our dressings or you are going to get an infection and you are going to die. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there are, um, circumstances and and not necessarily all of them have to be life-threatening, but where, um, extinction still plays a role, Mm. but that's not in the circumstance where you're telling a caregiver how to operate something at home, Mm. because guess what? The caregiver is not amputating a leg. The mm-hmm. caregiver is not performing heart surgery to put a yeah. stint in, you know? And so I think that thinking about this in terms of necessity and, and, and I guess I don't want to say skill, mm. but um, repertoire and mm-hmm. setting are important, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Um, it uh, and need 
right? Like I, I was talking about um, in presenting some of my um, needle phobia stuff, I was talking about how we didn't use extinction in that. It, it might have been a spoiler that we didn't use extinction. That mm-hmm. maybe that's a little bit of my thing. Yeah, um, yeah. We didn't use extinction in that. And um, we didn't see a lot of heart rate increases throughout mm. the course of the study. And um, I was, you know, saying like, this is so wild. Like they're, they're vocally describing that they are experiencing anxiety, but we're not seeing any biomarkers of it. And I talked a little bit about how the reality of the situation is I've got lots of time. I've got lots of resources. I don't need to use extinction, but if somebody is in the hospital and needs to place an IV, we're going to place an IV. Mm. However, it's going to happen. So anyway, this is a very long way of me saying, why has this not happened yet? Um, I, I think that, um, aside from all the reasons that I mentioned, we, I think we just didn't see past the end of our own noses mm. as behavior analysts, you know? I think that it was a situation where, because every person in in the process of writing a discussion paper, we talk to a lot of people, you know, mm-hmm. uh, see, get get the get get uh, feelers out there um, for who's working on what, you know, to try and see does this sound like it's something that would be reasonable. Um, and everybody said, "Yeah, that makes total sense." I don't know why we haven't, mm-hmm. and I think it's probably the case that we just. Um, have been doing the same thing for a long time it got selected Mm. and um it there and and it's not the case that we're saying don't do extinction because i think Mm. that there's nuance there too and how do you how do you get the message across without kind of like the ignore paper too how do you get the message across of like let's add some nuance to this conversation without saying let's eradicate this completely Not that that takes a, a, a lot, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I also I mean I'm glad you wrote this paper and I and I know it's a bit hypocritical of me, but I, I hate the question I just asked you. Um <laughs> because you know I hate when I I, I just I, I hate when someone finally does something good and right and mm. then the peanut gallery says, well, you could have done it yesterday. Well, you should have done that last week, you know, that kind of thing, you know, and that's not what I was trying to say, but it was just, it's just, um, it's just, uh, it just, it does seem like a long time coming to write, to have, to have some papers like this. And, and I hope we see more of them. The, so with this one, I mean, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is one of those rare papers where the abstract actually does tell you everything you do. Yes. <laughs> um, um, and and um, and uh, the definition is instead, to, you know, to instead of, you know, reinforcing one behavior with lots of reinforcement and completely ignoring another one, um, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to reinforce one and minimize reinforcement for another one. So what what's that mean? Yeah. Um, so I thank you so much for bringing up that conversation about animal research, because I think that that is what that means in a sense. Mm. So, um, we don't have valves that turn on and off reinforcement in the real world. So, um, 
on, on one hand, it's a question of, uh, practicality. Yeah. I, I, when I use the example of, um, escape maintain problem behavior, um, funny enough, I, as as somebody who's trying to be better, I, I do find myself, um, being somebody who is, um, very interested in the world of aversive contingencies and how those impact behavior. Um, But so in the context of an escape condition, for example, um, if you are, or I guess escape extinction, if you are continually presenting a demand, it is likely the case that there is still some aspect of escape from that demand that is happening there, Mm. like that you cannot avoid. Right. right. It's there's some um, and some of it is I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody who goes and runs under a table or whatever. And it's like, OK, well, now I have to follow you underneath the table kind of mm-hmm. a thing. But you've escaped it. You've escaped yep. that demand. It is yep. for a little bit of time. Yeah. Um. So I um, and then it, with attention, you know, um, there are ways that you have to keep yourself safe if you were doing uh, attention extinction. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I find myself to be like sometimes you wince you know when somebody does something or you blink because something has jumped in front of you yeah um or I um I'll tell uh my husband likes to bring up this when talking about my um talking about how we all make mistakes um there was a time when I um was my had my hair pulled and I instead of asking for help just continued on with what I was doing and the client has their hands in my hair. And I'm like, in hindsight, I was like, why was I doing this? Like there was, this was a silly situation that I put myself in danger for, for no reason. Right. And I don't think that that was going to be detrimental. And I, I guess in now in hindsight, it it wouldn't have been detrimental to reinforce problem behavior in that moment. Um, It, it would have been fine. And we're going to do more reinforcement for the stuff that we want to see. I used, I to, have hair. I, I, I used to, I used to have hair like you. Um, mm. um, and I had, and I was driving a school bus with, with, and I had a, it was in a ponytail. Oh no. And the fellow grabbed the ponytail while I was driving. I had to keep driving because yes. I was on the, I was well, on that's the highway. True. Yep. <laughs> so I was driving like yep. this. And, and uh, but uh, yeah, I get it. Um, so, and that, and that, and that makes sense for sure. Um, and, and also, you know, you, you'd gotta, I think some people, have, some of these procedures make us very rigid as practitioners, Yeah, you know, especially as sort of frontline folks, if, if we're not sort of coached on that, because sometimes it's really drilled into us that you got to do the, you know, the task analysis, the exact steps, mm-hmm. exact way. And, 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 you know, and if you're a literal, if you're a very literal person like me, then you're going to do it the exact way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're going to try to anyway. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, and that can become, you know, problematic um limiting yeah 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 why oh, i don't know where i was going but um minimizing reinforcement kind of going back to sort of yes. the, ignore, the ignore article you know and and how ignoring was imprecise well that's kind of imprecise too 
So what yeah, you, what, 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 what like how, how do you, how you know? Because I think you know you're gonna again. It's gonna depend on who's in charge. You know, well, minimum for for you, you can wince when you're in pain. Yes, you get one wince, only one. You know, so like the man, and, and you know, and again, and maybe you talked about the paper and I already forgot, but you talked about sort of that that bit, or do you? Um. So I don't in I don't think we talked about like the specific definition of minimize um but we call back to um athens and Vollmer 2010 which Mm -hmm. is a paper where they looked at they manipulated all of these different parameters of reinforcement so they manipulated quality magnitude um latency and they were they were able to move behavior around in this way that was very impressive in the sense that um for some individuals, quality weighs more, so to speak, than um, magnitude might or latency mm-hmm. might. Yes. And so on one hand, I think that it's probably a little bit individualized, right? Yep. Um, but I think that the on the other hand is what can I am in thinking about talking with um, not necessarily my behavior analyst staff, but thinking about talking with teachers or mm-hmm. parents mm-hmm. is asking them what parameter can you manipulate? Nice. So maybe it's not the case that you can manipulate latency. If you're a teacher, you're in the front of the class, you can't reinforce appropriate behavior faster mm. than problem behavior. Like you can't, you know, but it might be the case that you can manipulate um, quality, you know? And so I mm-hmm. think that having that conversation too about it doesn't mean to, it doesn't need to be the case that um, you you turn all the dials, so to speak. But what dials can you turn to mm. make it so that those scales tip? And then mm-hmm. um, I, uh, I we can't always um, have teachers collecting data, but uh, having a way for them to make some database decisions about that, make some yep. and show them to um, look. You it's okay. You can still um provide reinforcement for you know yeah. Jimmy getting out of his chair in class and it's still going to be okay because um we're still going to get him to uh have uh uh classroom readiness type behavior um yeah. by doing another reinforcement. That's a good answer because that was kind of a trick question, not intentionally, but <laughs> uh but in that in that you know it 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 you you can't be precise yeah with this stuff, you know yeah. it's gotta be nuanced and contextual and based on whatever but i think the the point here i guess is that and is that minimal reinforcement for you know those potentially challenging behaviors isn't gonna isn't gonna isn't gonna ruin things yeah exactly yeah and it's giving, um, I think, giving people a little grace too, because yeah. that's not fair for us to say. You need to make sure that you never yeah. provide reinforcement yeah. to this yeah. thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like if you wink, or if you blink, we're gonna have to start all over again. Yeah, and it's yeah. like that's not real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, really, really interesting stuff. So, are are you doing? Are you, is there plans for sort of more stuff like this? Um. So, in terms of like. Um, what are you working on just in general? What am I What's working on now? Yeah, what plans? am I working on? So I've got, I told you, I've got that needle phobia stuff that's going. Um, oh, yeah, right. Really, my um, 
my uh, passion project, I guess, so to speak right now is um, related to this concept that, which it kind of makes sense. I'll be in the same vein. Mm -hmm. It's uh, some empirical work related to this concept that um, we are likely missing um, some functions of challenging behavior. I'm particularly looking at like excitatory conditions. So like when I'm really happy, I might bite my hand more. Um, mm. But our typical conceptualization of automatic reinforcement is not that. Um, mm. It's usually like under conditions where there's nothing as yeah, opposed yeah, to yeah. looking at it like in a play condition. Um, yeah, and I think that a lot of autistic people probably would, that would uh, 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 ring true to them in thinking about, well, I get really excited and I get really stimulated and I might... Um, do more stimming. I might, uh, uh, I might hit myself. I might do something because yeah. I'm really happy. So looking at that, um, yeah. is something that I'm working on. And then, um, similarly in the context of, um, uh, escape conditions of functional analysis, sometimes for, to, to do, to do the layman's term, sometimes we make kids upset. Um, and that, uh, I think might, I think that the making them upset or the antecedent, uh, might be driving why we see challenging behavior more than the reinforcers that come after mm. it. So maybe it's the case that, um, and we have a little bit of data to support this right now. Um, it might be the case that it's not the escape that I give you contingent on challenging behavior, but it's the fact that I presented something that's aversive because mm. that's why we're seeing stuff. Um, and with the hope that in both of these realms, um, we're able to uh, take a treatment perspective that takes these things into account, mm. right? Um, in a way that I think we might've been missing before. So that's like my little passion project now. Cool. Well, that sounds awesome. Uh... Now, I don't know a lot about it, but postdocs aren't things that go on forever, right? So They're not. That's right. Well, when, when, when does that end for you? So this contract, and um, I'm in a weird, I'm in the weird part where I'm about to have a baby during mm. application season. So um, we'll kind of see how that goes. But mm. I'm, I'm, I'm starting the process of having conversations with people now about what my plan will be afterwards. Nice, but nice, I'll nice. have to do like a little free talking to people and then I'll come back from leave and then I'll probably nail it down. Hopefully nail it down. Yeah. Cool. Fun. So I'm almost, so baby time in the fall. Yes. September will be yeah. when I'm due and then I and, will probably go back in January. And this is your first? This is my first. Wow, fun, fun. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Super cool. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast. This was super yeah, interesting. Yeah, thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I know I, uh, you know, as, as tangents go, I threw some, you know, a few zingers at you. And so. No, it was fun. Yeah, you, you, thank, thank you for, for, for humoring me and answering some of those. It was great. Of course. Awesome.